0: It's mine, but you can have some with you. I'd like to share it, because if I share it with you, you'll have some too.
1: I'm Grace Wilkinson, and with me today are John Walter and surprise guest friend of the podcast, Dr. Mike Pace from the University of Virginia. We're recording today from Bessie Hall at Iowa State as we wrap up a project meeting for our NSF collaboration on synchrony between lakes and the landscape. So Mike and John, welcome to Iowa. John, I know you've been here before, um, but Mike, I think this is your first time here. Indeed. All right. So overall impressions of Iowa thus far?
2: Well, everything you need to know about Iowa, you can find out by going to YouTube and searching for Hooray for Ames.
1: Yes. You'll find out that we love it in the city of Ames.
2: (laughs) It is a very fine music video. (laughs) Only about a decade old and probably an instant classic.
1: Absolutely. We'll make sure that we post a link to it on the episode on the website. So, Mike, what do you think of Iowa thus far?
0: Well, my perspective is based on excited to be here because this is a home of Moo, a fabulous novel written about (laughs) academia in, uh, was it the 80s or the 90s? I don't remember, Uh, by Jane Smiley, uh, who was a professor here at Iowa State University and uh, kind of did a send-up. On the academic world.
1: So, so have you found Earl Butts yet?
0: Haven't found Earl, a giant pig, central character <laughs> and symbol in the book. But uh, uh, there is a place on grounds called Old Meats, mm-hmm. which is used in the book, um, and uh, I noted it on the map. So we're going to go take a picture of it. Yes.
1: <laughs> before before we adjourn for beers today, we will go and find Earl Butts in Old Meats. It'll be pretty good. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you all are here. We've had a sort of a mix of weather, but that's that's Iowa and the Midwest for you, right? So, yeah, Midwest summer. it all. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, anyway, so so one of the things we like to ask guests on the podcast is about their career journey and how they got into ecology. So Mike, could you talk a little bit about kind of what motivated that and you know what still motivates you in your career?
0: Well, I think it's kind of, it's always hard to think back and wonder how you got into something, but Um, One answer would be that I was interested in environmental issues as a high school student and uh, when I went to university I learned about ecology as a discipline and uh, I thought well that is a way to think about and work on environmental issues and so one thing led to another and uh, I started doing ecological research as an undergraduate, taking ecological courses and um, um, working with faculty sort of the traditional way and then um, lo and behold, I was in graduate school, and the rest is, you know, history.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so you work a lot in freshwater ecosystems. And that's been where part of your career is, but also in marine, right? Right. So tell a little bit more about that, how you've bridged the salty divide. As it I worked. got my
0: start. I did my master's thesis in uh, at Sapelo Island, Georgia, which is a sea island off the coast of Georgia, location of the University of Georgia Marine Sciences Institute. And uh, it's a wonderful place with salt marshes and um, tidal creeks and rivers, and uh, it's fabulous. All kinds of natural and beautiful things there. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years, and so that was kind of my intro to marine science. And, uh, and actually, oddly enough, or consequent, coincidentally, I've come back to it uh, at this phase of my career working in the Virginia Coastal Reserve, which is a very similar um, coastal environment. Um, in Virginia, that's a large uh, preserve owned oh, mainly by the Nature Conservancy.
1: Yeah, so definitely had sort of full circle in yeah. that way. Yep. And you have the honor of getting to be the chair of the Environmental Sciences Department <laughs> and the president of the Association for the Sciences of Limnology and Oceanography. So lots of fun tasks, I'm sure, involved right. in that dubious honor being department yes. chair. <laughs> <laughs> but that torch is almost passed. Um, so in addition to all of that, you also get to do science, right? So occasionally in this work. Yes, <laughs> yeah, this when, I'm,
0: week. when I'm not punching buttons and approving things.
1: Yes. <laughs> this week we've been working on a project funded by an NSF Eager Grant, um, which we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, and It was a response to a call that came out last spring, and actually the purpose of that call for Eager proposals was to fund projects that use data that have already been generated by other investigators. So it had to be other investigators' NSF-funded projects. Um, that was easy enough for John and I because it was our first NSF funding. <laughs> um, but the goal was to use these data um, again for some new purpose or new topic. Um, you know, see using old data for new insight. Essentially, could be the way that that's summarized. Um, yeah. So we've been doing a lot.
2: Yeah, we've been we've been using uh, a number of uh, long-term da- lakes datasets. Um, some individually supported by NSF uh, funding, um, but the sort of uh, compilation and synthesis of being supported um, by the by NSF through the uh, Lagos um, project that uh, features uh, Pat Serrano and many others. Um, are there other names that I should mention?
1: <laughs> the whole Lagos group, will make sure we put a, a link. I think we've talked about them on the podcast before. Um, is a really great example of a group that's doing um, this great data synthesis work and working really well as a collaborative group. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about that in terms of collaboration. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to talk about today on the podcast was thinking about some of those benefits and challenges of working with other people's data. Um, So luckily, we're in this era now, right, of open science. And we think about it, that's often how it's talked about, is this new era of open science and open data sharing, um, and that that's becoming much more of the norm or sort of the culture around the way that we think about data. Um, Or at least, I guess I'd say that's my perspective on that. And so um, I'm wondering if, Do you all think, and if that's really always been the way that it is, are we in this new era? What's the perspective or how have the norms and practices around data sharing in ecology changed over the past couple of decades?
0: Yeah, my perspective is I think they've changed a lot. And I think that um, if you go back to maybe the time when I was uh, early in my career, um, there there wasn't much data sharing. And um, it certainly wasn't the norm. Mm-hmm. That you would provide your data to other colleagues, and coincidentally, or I worked in a, a worked with a group of scientists as a postdoc, whose uh, one of their main ways of doing things was to try to collect a lot of data on various limnological uh, processes and issues, and then um, test certain questions using those collected data sets, and those involve you know pulling data out of the literature. Um, and it was kind of regarded as a bit radical at the time. It seems weird to say that now, but um, there was a lot of blowback to doing that kind of thing. Oh, you don't understand the data, how the data were collected, the nuances, et cetera. And there was a lot of criticism of that approach. Um, and so I think starting from that point, um, there's, there's been a kind of an evolution of the idea that uh, data should be uh, sustained and maintained in the future for others to use, and then this idea that we could share our data and thereby uh, enhance what we all do by having access to greater diversity of kinds of data
2: yeah and one of one of the rationales that you often hear for shaded da- data sharing is that well you know it's taxpayer funded it's really in a sense should be a public good. is that something that's um, been sort of part of the Thinking about data sharing for a long time, or is that a relatively new development?
0: You know, I think I also think that's kind of new. I mean, I think that um, there's been certainly that argument's been made for a long time, and I remember having that discussion many years ago at the, um, the University of California, um, Santa Barbara Synthesis Center. Um, that we, you know, people are arguing well, we need to share our data, and it, it's you know it's the taxpayer funded, and it should be out there for all just to, to, to share, but. Others pushing back on that. Um, and so I, I think it's an evolved ethic, if you will, that um, certainly makes sense. Yeah. But, but there's also costs, right? There's cost associated with that. And uh, funding agencies typically don't pay uh, the cost of um, the care and feeding of the data, if you will.
1: Yeah, that definitely takes a lot of work, right? Getting those data into a usable format and out there where somebody could actually find them. Um, So yeah, what are some of the ways that you could even go about finding data that people have shared at this point?
2: Well, one of the main ways um, is through data archives. Um, Things like Dryad, um, uh, KNB, EDI. um, These are all Acronyms that I don't honestly know the <laughs> what they mean, but they're um, their places. Uh, no, it's the the knowledge network for Biocomplexity and the environmental data initiative, um, EDI, being one that's associated uh, with the the LTER network uh, also, um, and uh, so these are you know web platforms that um, host. Data, um, they are you know searchable. That's one of the main you know benefits of that. Um, to varying degrees of uh, rigor, they require metadata to accompany um, the the data package, um, and that's you know important to, uh, as Mike mentioned, you know figuring out what the data actually mean, how they were collected. Um,
1: Yeah, units, right? Metadata is data about data in its purest form. And I think until um, we really got rolling on this project and started to bring in some other folks' data sets, right, and sort of this bespoke data cleaning, as as John calls it, which I love, Uh, (laughs) makes it feel very hipster. Um, But that we, you know even what somebody else calls chlorophyll a and and what for example the way that i've taken chlorophyll a samples in the past and what filter size were they using and what are the units on that and what right is actually all this stuff that just seems like a no brainer for your data but actually make them really unusable for other people if you're out there sharing them right
2: yeah especially if you're trying to do sort of cross comparison of you know sort of the some of the fundamental quantities in that data so yeah it's it, it's really it's really quite crucial, and I think it's one of the one of the biggest uh, challenges and opportunities in data sharing. Is um, you know how do we improve metadata and make it easier for um, scientists to produce it um, and archive it with their their data so that it does become um, more useful to other scientists?
1: Yeah. So what what did this look like before these data repositories? Like were
2: Right people, ask them if you
0: could use their data, yeah or give, they would provide their data um sometimes you could get it from publications or um, uh, digitize it off graphs, lots of things like that pretty pretty That's pretty, still a lot of fun. pretty primitive pretty <laughs> primitive approaches to finding data i've been playing with something called Google dataset search beta version lately hmm. so um you know you type in some kind of keyword and um to find, well, it brings up data sets, which may or may not be relevant to your interests. But, um, uh, and I can't say yet much about how well it works or whether I like it or not, but you kind of imagine if Google's getting into this game that uh, this this kind of tool is going to get better and better and uh, become more and more powerful, uh, whether it's Google or some other entity. Um, I think we're going to have an easier time. Of finding data sets in the
2: future yeah I think that's really fundamental because r- right now at least in environmental data you know it is a bit fragmented there are a lot of different places to um, host data um, and archive it and um, so yeah just having that platform that does an effective job of searching across those um, can be can be really good there is um, sort of a I guess, sort of a meta-archive of um, ecological and environmental data um, repositories, but I don't think it's very well known. In fact, so unwell known that I can't even remember the name of it off the top of my head.
1: <laughs> we'll edit it in later. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I, I remember sitting on a, an NSF panel um, in the past couple of years, and the um, we're reviewing data management plans and we're directed as panel members to talk about, like, to review the the data management plans of the proposals under review and comment on them. And one thing that was a bit startling to me was how often the program officers were saying that, like, no, that's not acceptable data management. When people were talking about open data sharing but not using these, um, like, archives or repositories, you know, talking about posting it on their websites or including it in um, with papers and whatnot. And so that there's really becoming a more rigorous standard. And I think also the funding agencies are going to help push that forward as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully the future is bright for open data and sharing.
2: Yeah. I mean, funding agencies and publishers have really become um, definitely partners of of scientists who want to see this um, happening and, you know, having data archived as part of uh, review um, and as a requirement of, of funding. Um, yeah, it, it is contributing to making it much more widespread.
1: Yeah. Well, so we can get the data out there, right? And it can be in these archives. And you'd think, okay, well, that's, that's the gold standard. It's out there. It's in the archives. There's metadata associated with it. And there's some data standards there. Um, but one thing as Um, I was doing some research in preparation for this episode see we sometimes do research (laughs) Uh, as as I was running across a lot of really interesting literature um, and I I think two pieces like two data points I wanted to share with you all were that um, from a study Roche in 2015 it's estimated that half of the archive data in ecology and evolution are unable to be reused because of poor metadata so that the data standards and how those data would be used, they just can't be because not enough information was included. And so you think, okay, well, that's like archive, that's individual investigators, right? Okay, so maybe there just hasn't been the culture or the community built around that. Well, we would think that the government that's been in this game of doing monitoring and collecting data for right, centuries, even, should be a lot better at it. Um, well, a study by Sprague, at all, 2017, they found approximately 60% of U.S. government agency stream nutrient data was unable to be reused because of poor data standards, which came at the cost of about $12 billion in data collection that can't be reused because of that, which blew my mind. You would think at least the government could get it right. Well... (laughs) I'd take some of that back, but <laughs> you would think, right? So, um, But an interesting new paper out um, that came out recently by Timothy Passat. Um, I'm sorry, I hope you, I said your last name right. Um, was is This paper, ecological data shouldn't be so hard to find and reuse. And one of the key points that they made uh, as a takeaway for me was that the challenges of standardizing data formats really lies in the fact that ecological and environmental data mm-hmm is really complex there's lots of different ways we can take it there's lots of different formats and things you know ways that those environmental data are there so we need a way that's um, data standards that are flexible to that but that can also still allow for integration and reuse which is no minor challenge right Mm -hmm. so that's um yeah, in particular, um, what have, so thinking about that and sort of those stats and what we've been going through on this project, what have been some of the hardest parts of using other people's data for us on this project?
2: Well, I would say fortunately that um, the Lagos group does a really incredible job and has done a lot of the hard work um, on that. But, you know, as, as we have tried to bring in some additional data sets, Um, you know some things that just take a little bit to sometimes a lot of extra time are uh, you know different uh, naming conventions across data sets having to reconcile those uh, different the the type of analysis we're using it for having data sets in different units isn't an enormously big deal but um, just from in in a broader sense, you know, knowing what your units are um, and doing, uh, you know, converting appropriately uh, among them is is pretty um, pretty important and can be can be a challenge um, if the the data aren't uh, documented clearly. Um,
1: yeah. What about on other projects, sir?
2: Or- well,
0: I was thinking about that. I mean, just listening to this, one of the things I wanted to mention was this sort of a yeah, the, the listener should should note caution, right, <laughs> in using other people's data. I think that's the fundamental point that there's a lot of diversity in quality of the data and the um, conventions of the data and understanding the data. And so it's the it's incumbent upon the user to do the best they can to uh, try to gain a mastery of what's there and how it works and be sure the units are correct and so on. There's a Robert May apparently didn't like simulation modeling and ecology way back. Many years ago, especially of ecosystems, and he used the phrase "garbage in, garbage out." And I think <laughs> we could, one could do the same thing in reuse of other people's data if not careful, right? And so I think care is the is the operative word.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, the other another way to turn that on its head, though, is that when, if this open data and sharing is the way of the future, that it's also incumbent upon the investigator to, to have the care in what they're putting out there as right, well, right? right? And being really crystal clear. Um, right. So that's, that's sort of the other side of that. You can't get mad at somebody for misusing your data if you didn't do a really good job of <laughs> explaining it in the first place. Um, so given that, what would we like to see about changes in data standards or data sharing standards in our fields?
2: I mean, I think the holy grail would be just making documentation easier and i I don't know i don't know how to do that um another because you know in addition to the the detail challenge there's also um the challenge of um you know making them in a keeping that information in a you know preservable format um that's machine readable that um you know when we're no longer using, you know, for example, you know, PDFs, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe Adobe stops supporting that someday, um, and you know, we've moved on to the next, you know, latest greatest file format. Um, are we still going to be able to access those data and the metadata? Um,
1: that is a great point. I, when I came here to Iowa State, I took over a long-term monitoring project that was in partnership with the Army Corps, and it's been running for about four decades. And the way that the data from that time were given to me, the Army Corps didn't have control of it. I had two options. I had a database called Paradox that I didn't have the software for, and we couldn't open. Or we had an individual spreadsheet for every sampling event over 40 years with a different tab for each variable. And the choice that, that truly Ouch. felt like a rock in a hard place in trying to take this really useful and wonderful 40-year data set and turn it into something that was actually usable. I wanted to rip my hair out. Luckily, I have a collaborator who is, is a whiz at this sort of stuff and, and was actually wrote an Excel macro to at least get it into an access database so that we can start turning it into something that has some some permanence. Wow. But yeah. Just just terrible, so yes, absolutely making that that those formats readable into the future and available I'm sure when they started that project, they never thought the paradox database would go away,
0: right, yeah with all these software things change right, right. yeah <laughs> they just and they don't last yeah you know, i I think listening to this, I've been thinking, well, maybe the most used you know it's hard to say what's most useful in the future, but there's definitely uh, data produced by, say, long-term monitoring programs, where they've sort of sustained a high quality of, uh, let's say, analytical and data uh, standards for the work that they do. Um, this I will like survey being one, for example, where mm-hmm. there, there's you have certified anal, analytical uh, methods used in the lab, uh, carefully documented, and then there's sort of this um, data provenance as you go through the steps. I yeah. believe and. Uh, I don't know the full details there, but I, I'm just making the point that uh, here's a program that has all these uh, controls and uh, careful work done to produce high-quality data sets. So those are certainly going to be important as we go into the future. Um, and the other thing I was thinking is that you know really well-documented experiments and um, programs of one kind or another where the investigators have exerted a lot of care in the um, description and Processing and curation of their data uh, in the service of some question they were asking probably also be highly valuable mm-hmm. uh, in the future. So I think there's these kind of hard to fath- hard to or art- somewhat hard to articulate quality issues related to the research, and not quality in the sense the thing got in science, but quality in the sense of how the work was done, okay. uh, that are going to make a difference for future users, don't you think?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, but I. I- Really wonder, it's sort of part of that, that data standard or in that metadata standard. How can having the space and the um, expectation that you share that level of detail along with and that level of documentation? Um,
0: well, I kind of think the field is going to rise to that standard yeah. by, by, if not by desire, by force. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and so I think uh, we're going to go there. Um, and, and I think the next generation of scientists, if not the current, will just do that implicitly mm-hmm. because that'll be the standard. Um, but, you know, we're in the process of trying to get there. And it's, always a, it's never a smooth road. It's, there's always bumps. Right. And I think that's, so I think that's what's happening now.
1: Well, certainly it's made this project a lot easier that we've already been able to take advantage of another NSF project that did a lot of that smoothing of the road for us. Um, and moving forward, uh, but we're certainly learning a lot about uh, by using other people's data. It's definitely changed the way that I approach for some of our experimental data and our documentation. Um, I don't don't know about you all if it's changed your perspectives um, in this particular, but John works with other people's data all the time, so (laughs) he's what we call a data parasite. That's not actually a thing. It turns out.
2: No, no one said that to my face yet. So.
1: <laughs> you heard heard it here first. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get back to work on thinking about between ecosystem synchronous dynamics. So, if this episode made you really excited about data sharing, remember you can always start by sharing this podcast with a friend. You can do that by sending them a link um, from one of your favorite podcast apps. Catch up with us on Twitter or Instagram at Major underscore revisions, or check out our website, majorrevisionshow.com. And with that, we'll talk to you next time.
0: Or just send John you your data. <laughs>